Welcome to Calling Operator. The podcast where we speak to operators in some of Australia's biggest startups. Find out how they got there and what their impact is. Connecting to Katie Noonan, Strategic Partnerships at Forage. I'm really excited today because we've got Katie from Forage. Katie, do you want to say hi and introduce yourself, where you grew up, who you are, and we can go from there. Hey, Paloma. Nice to catch up again. I am Katie. I'm leading strategic partnerships at Forage, and I recently relocated to New York City from Sydney, which has just been yeah a totally new adventure. And prior to that, I was in Sydney for six years, but I am originally from Melbourne, so have moved around quite a lot in my life. <laughs> Yeah, cool. I think we'll delve into that New York move with Forage in a little bit. Do you want to give us a quick background as to like your career up until this point, where you kind of started and how you landed at Forage? Yeah, for sure. So I guess that kind of goes back to university a little bit. And I, my first degree that I studied was just like a general arts degree at the University of Melbourne. And I majored in political science and criminology. So just kind of general humanity subjects. And obviously, after most people do that degree, they're not entirely sure what happens next. And so having done criminology as one of my majors, I thought that criminal law was something that I was pretty interested in doing. And I was quite strong opinioned as a child, quite argumentative, my parents would probably say. And so I think they had kind of said to me when I was young, you know, you'd be a great lawyer. And so that was enough to send me onto law school. And so I moved up to ANU in Canberra to go and do my Juris Doctor up there. Um, and was in Canberra for three years. And I ended up working as a paralegal at a criminal law firm while I was at university and realized pretty quickly I did not actually want to be a criminal lawyer. Some of the matters that I acted on were just like pretty gruesome and also like quite repetitive. And I saw the toll it was like taking on the partner that I worked for. So I decided to start more broad and I ended up applying for clerkships with commercial law firms. And I went, you know, was really, really lucky to get a grad job at Asher which is just like a general commercial law firm. And so I started there in 2016 and I did the kind of general rotations that you do through the litigation team, M&A and competition law at the time. And then I ended up settling in the litigation team and worked on kind of big commercial and government litigations and arbitrations when I was at Ashurst for about four years, I think in total. Yeah, I, I just, I was laughing because my parents, when I was growing up, also were like, you're so lucky that you'd be a great lawyer. But unfortunately, that didn't result in me deciding to go to law school. So I think congratulations <laughs> on that. That's a really good step. I know that you did a fair bit of work in the NT and specifically with Indigenous communities. Do you want to talk kind of about what, what was that driver and what, what made you yeah. interested in that side of it? Yeah, for sure. So I think I've always been one of those people that has been like really open-minded about like different career options. And so I remember when I was at Ashurst, I would have conversations with people who were quite unhappy there and they would say, oh, I just don't know what else I would do if I left Ashurst. And I would say, well, I, I can think of like 10 things I would do. Like I would go in, maybe I'd try consulting, maybe I'd work in the government, maybe I could be a barrister, maybe I'd, you know, work at a startup. Like I just had all these ideas. And so I kind of used Ashurst to try and explore them while remaining employed like at that company. So Ashurst has a, like a really long-standing relationship with Naja, which is essentially legal aid that works with Indigenous people in the Northern Territory. And so I applied for that secondment and was really lucky to get awarded it in 2017. So you get to keep your Ashurst salary, 
they relocate you up to the Northern Territory. And so I lived in Catherine for about eight months and worked as a civil lawyer up there. So we were mainly doing like consumer law matters, compensation matters, tort like against the government and police. And it was really wide ranging. And so that was essentially my kind of first experience of living in a regional remote part of Australia and really was a pretty incredible experience of being welcomed into all these amazing communities around, you know, different parts of, of regional Northern Territory. And up there, I definitely got to witness, you know, the strength and resilience of the Indigenous population of the Northern Territory, despite years of kind of horrific government policies and racism and, and so on. And so I w- it was there for eight months in the end. And although I absolutely loved my experience, I kind of realised that working in that community law setting was probably only something I could see myself doing for like 18 months or two years. And I just wasn't exactly sure where it would lead me afterwards. And I actually also realized that what I, the kind of matters I really loved was those consumer matters. And I actually was really missing using like the commercial side of my brain, which I wouldn't have necessarily guessed when I was younger. And so I went back to Ashurst for another year or so, and then ended up taking a job at Indigenous Business Australia which is a Commonwealth government agency and essentially acts as like a bank to Indigenous people. And so they seek to provide mortgages, business loans and investment opportunities to Indigenous people and Indigenous businesses to try and improve and increase, you know, home ownership, business ownership, wealth of Aboriginal corporations. And so I felt like at the time that was like a really good mix of, you know, some of my interest, but then also adding in that kind of like more commercial lens and also trying to have change on a more systemic level because at Naja it was very reactive and you would help one client and then someone else would come to you with like the exact same set of problems and you felt very, very like you were, yeah, reactive, not addressing like the kind of core issue, but just addressing each kind of individual. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think as we go through, we'll probably see that that's a bit of a theme, but how you've managed to kind of use both the social impact side and I guess your natural caring nature and also wanting to be able to express that commercial side, which I totally understand from a more work-intensive experience. So how long were you at IBA and what kind of led you out of that? Yeah, so I was there for, I think, probably just under 18 months. Maybe it might have been around 16 months. And originally I was only there on a 12-month maternity leave contract. And then I managed to to turn that permanent and and get and and extend it. And I think by that stage, I had then been a lawyer in three different environments, right? Like private practice, in-house and in a community legal center. And I was realizing I still wasn't entirely sure if that's exactly what I wanted to do. And I think at the time I was maybe 28, approaching 29, maybe 29 already. And I was kind of thinking, look, if I'm going to make a change and try something really different. I should probably do it now rather than, you know, I'd seen other people that had previously expressed like disinterest in their careers to me in the law that had then continued on and had gotten to a certain level of pay and a certain level of seniority. And it then became really hard for them to transfer out. And I didn't want to put myself in that position where I had these like golden handcuffs or had a really specialized skill set that I felt like it was going to be hard to move. And also when I was at IBA, I worked on quite a few of the like partnerships. So IBA is now led by a woman called Kirsty Moore, and she was really great at trying to think about innovative ways that IBA could work with the banks. And I would see her have all these cool ideas of like, let's go pitch this bank this and let's do this. And I would get pulled in to like do the documents at the end. 
And I was like, that's not the fun part. Like I want to be what doing what Kirsty's doing and thinking of different ways that we can partner and like how can we strategically work with others to like push this organization forward and do something new and innovative. And so kind of all of that led me to decide to to try the world of startups. Yeah, that's a really interesting segue, right? Because you sort of watched that strategic partnership role in action and it probably wasn't even called that at the time, but I'm starting to see that skill kind of play out. So then the next step was where actually we met. So next you started the Startmate Fellowship. We were the the OG crew that had the surprise of COVID hit us. (laughs) Yes. Our plans to go to San Francisco were quickly taken away from us. Wheeled, absolutely wheeled. I think we should do a, a veterans trip in a few years. But did you go into the Startmate Fellowship? That was the first women's fellowship for people that are listening. Did you go into the fellowship with a clear idea of what kind of roles that you were looking for or, or what you wanted to do from that? No, absolutely not. I really kind of had no idea. You know, I'd mainly worked in law firms and until I'd worked at IBA, I hadn't. And it, that wasn't really a business because it was a Commonwealth agency. So yes, they were very like conscious of money and so on, but it didn't have to like provide profit to shareholders or investors. So I hadn't actually really worked in like a proper business before that understood all these different roles. And I think that's how I approached the Startmate Fellowship is that, you know, I didn't even know what a product manager was. So when we would have a session from someone who was in product, I would listen to them talk and, um, you know, think to myself, okay, I really want to try and understand what their role is. What do they do on a day-to-day basis? Does that align with things I'm interested in? Does that align with my strengths? If I'm not interested in it, why not? Why am I not interested in it? And then I would kind of just use it as like a big information gathering or to use like a legal um, terminology. Like I essentially used it as due diligence on mm-hmm. like the entire ecosystem and all the different roles that you could possibly do to try and make like a much more informed decision when I finally figured out what it is that I wanted to do. Yeah, it's actually really interesting because we all, I think, were in a similar boat. You know, none of us really knew those roles. I remember having conversations with with everyone in that group about what is a chief of staff? Like, how how is that a role? Like, what is a product manager? And now I go to some of the Startmate events and there's there's kids in university talking about <laughs> their desire to go into product management. And like, it's so great that it's changed so quickly in two years, but it does feel like a completely different world. Yeah, totally agree. So then let's quickly jump into Far Inch. Let's kind of bring it into the present. So what was that, what was that entry like? How did you meet the team and, and what, what was your first role there? Yeah, so I remember when I was doing the Startmate Fellowship, Michael and Sophia at the time were really like encouraging us to do a lot of outreach and, you know, yeah, reach out to organizations or to people that we were interested in either like working with or learning from. And at the time, like I was very hesitant to do that. I thought, I'd come from an environment, particularly in law, where, you know, to go to the senior associate or to go to the partner, you had to have like a really specific ask or like problem that you wanted them to help you with. And ideally like a solution or recommendation that you wanted them to like either approve or amend. And so I just felt so cautious about reaching out to these people that I thought were like very, you know, important and like very like I just didn't want to bother them essentially. Yeah. And so while I was participating in the fellowship, I also was kind of like racking my brain and thinking like, okay, who do I have in my own extended network that I can reach out to? And I'm not going to feel as like intimidated. And so one of the people that I reached out to was Tom Brunskill, who is the CEO and founder, co-founder of Forage. And we had gone to ANU at a similar time in slightly different years, but we had 
a lot of, you know, mutual friends. And he had also been a lawyer, a, a commercial lawyer previously. So I felt like we had some commonality there. And so I think I would have sent him like a very general message, just asking to catch up about what it's like to work in startups. And at the time I hadn't dived too much into forage. I felt like it was very, I, I just, I guess I didn't really understand like the scale of the problem that Tom and the forage team was trying to tackle. So I didn't really think too much of it when we first caught up. But as we spoke, you know, he was so generous with his time. I think we spoke for over an hour and he explained, you know, more and more about what Forage was trying to do and, you know, the work. And he talked about like some of the team members. I was, you know, kind of towards the end of the conversation was left feeling pretty impressed. And he offered at the end of the conversation to connect me with, you know, anyone else that I wanted to be connected with. But he included like a throwaway line, I think, which was like, you know, we're always looking for like smart, ambitious people who are interested in moving into startups. So if Forage is something you're interested in, let me know because, you know, we can have a a separate conversation about that. And he had shared with me during that call that they were like incredibly busy. This was probably like April or May 2020. COVID obviously had hit and in the North, the Northern Hemisphere, particularly the US, the UK and Europe, you know, large enterprise businesses who typically run these huge internship programs in summer were like absolutely scrambling to try and figure out what they were going to do, that they couldn't deliver their internships in person. And so Forage was trying to help clients solve this problem and they were just like absolutely run off their feet. And Tom was also in the process of trying to raise their Series A investment round. And so at the end of the call, I said to him, like, look, if there's anything that I can help you with at the moment, you know, I, my hours are pretty good working in government. So I definitely have some spare time on the side to, you know, help you guys out. And Tom ended up taking me up on that offer. And what I initially helped him and the Forage team out on was some very kind of easy investor research to assist him with that Series A fundraising process. So he you know, gave me access to Crunchbase, which I had never looked at before. I had no idea what it was. And he essentially asked me to kind of go into Crunchbase and find investors that had invested in similar kind of ed tech startups previously, who was the partner that had invested in those companies, and then essentially write like bios about those those investors. You know, had to look at their Twitter, look at their LinkedIn, look at their Medium, like what kind of investment theses had they written? And that was really my first like crush course in anything to do with like the fundraising world. And so I started just sending Tom these emails being like, here's a memo on this investor. She has invested in these startups. These are the things that she has, you know, mentioned before about how she views investing, what lens does she apply? And I also included like, here's how I think maybe you could answer those types of investment questions or how Forage might fit that investment thesis. And it kind of just went from there, the conversation. So that's like a very long-winded answer to your initial question, but that's, yeah, how it all started. I know it's really interesting because you definitely approach that exactly how a lawyer would, but also in such a fantastic way where he gave you his time and then you gave him your time. And I think that's kind of like a beautiful example for how a lot of these relationships do start. Do you want to quickly just give us a, like a one paragraph of how you describe Forage and, and the problems that they are trying to solve? So Forage is an ed tech company that essentially is trying to democratize access to learning opportunities, but directly from, you know, great employers around the world. So instead of other online courses like Udemy, Coursera, Udacity, whoever they might be, which might do like a general data analytics program or, you know, software engineering, 
we provide programs in data analytics, um, coding, consulting, finance, you know, investment banking and law and so on, working directly with employers. So when you come to the Forage website and say, what's it like to work in product management? What's it like to work at Atlassian as a product manager? We don't yet work with Atlassian, but we would love to. If anyone's listening, you can do an investment banking program with JP Morgan or with um, Bank of America. You can do a data analytics program with Accenture or software engineering with Electronic Arts. And once students or learners participate in these programs, you can get hired directly by the companies who have access to the data of the students that wish to share it with the hiring teams. So it's like one step removed in both that kind of like visualization process of actually like understanding in depth what different careers are and then also getting hired because while you're learning, your data is also being shared directly with recruiting teams. So you're getting the hands-on experience of say like a grad program, but you could try out maybe three or four different places and you're actually being able to learn the skills that you would be using in that job and then use that on your resume essentially to get hired to show that you're competent. Exactly. That is such an incredible idea. And I mean, I've always said the biggest flaw of university is you don't actually learn how to do a job. (laughs) Exactly. And so I think this insight came from, you know, early research that Tom and the team was doing which was that, you know, one of the hardest things was for students to actually understand those roles that exist as they're applying for grad jobs and start building the skills and also get experience to put on their resume. Like when you're at that kind of early stage in your career, you're applying to jobs with like not much on your resume, perhaps other than like the hospitality job that you worked in part-time. And so Forage is trying to like tick all of those boxes so you can learn for free with Forage in your own time with these employers And you get to put that certification on your resume that demonstrates that you're like a really high intent candidate so that, you know, JP Morgan for their investment banking program, when they get thousands of applicants, they can find, okay, who are these really high intent applicants that actually understand what this job is going to be like? And so when they come through the hiring process, say, I want to work at JP Morgan as an investment banker because I did your program. I understand that I would have to do X, Y, Z in that role. And that really excited me. And here I am demonstrating that I've already taken steps to do the job that I'm trying to get hired for. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just so great from both sides because even when we were talking about before not knowing what a product manager was, right, like that happens in every single industry. I remember starting in advertising and someone saying, oh, you'd be great at account management and me saying, I don't understand finance. Like I'm not going to be in the accounts <laughs> team. And like it was just completely the wrong role because to your point, like no one, no one tells you what the different opportunities within different organizations are so I think that's really exciting well they do tell you but there's difference from like someone explaining it to you and you seeing it for yourself and so that's kind of what we say to recruiters that we work with which is you're spending all this time going to all these career fairs around the country or around the world trying to explain over and over and over what a consultant is what about if you can give something to someone for them to take home that they can do in their own time and actually get immersed in that work rather than you just having to explain it to them, which is, you know, always ripe for miscommunication. Yeah, no, that's great. So then talk us through kind of what your role, what were you, what was your first role at Forage and, and how, how has your kind of development in that, in that organization happened? Yeah. So when I initially came on, came on board, I was leading like efforts essentially to diversify Forage's content into the kind of social impact world. And so at the time, my my title was head of social impact, but it was very external facing, definitely not like an internal ESG kind of role like that, like that might be at other organizations. And so 
again, like it's very different from someone explaining to you what your role is going to be and like actually understanding that intimately. And so really what I was doing at the beginning was like going out and pitching to nonprofits and organizations in the social impact sector, like why they should work with Forage and why they should build these programs and, you know, inspire the next generation of early talent into working, you know, for some of these really meaningful causes and really exciting social impact organizations rather than going to work in, you know, the commercial world. And we kind of felt a bit of an obligation as well. Like we felt like Forage at the time was very skewed towards professional services and tech and that we actually weren't portraying to students like an accurate representation of what the world of work was because it was very focused on those industries. And so that essentially was what my first role at Forage was. I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself here, but like the conclusion of that work is that it didn't, it didn't work. And there are a number of reasons why at the time we decided to kind of like discontinue that pilot or that experiment. But that was something that was really hard. I thought I had come into an organization to do like a particular role. And one thing you learn pretty quickly at startups is like, you have to be okay with ambiguity and you have to be able to kind of pivot and, you know, decide like what is the, you know, most important thing to focus on next. And so that's definitely experience that I have had um, more than, more than once at Forage. That's really interesting because I think that there is something in, in being able to admit that, not that you're failing, but that what you're doing isn't the right thing to ladder up to the eventual business success. I think a lot of people struggle with that. And I think it, it's sure. kind, of, kind of a testament. So so going from that, and it's probably not to say that it won't be something that you guys do, you know, in five years, whatever that is. But I think I, I completely understand from a commercial viability perspective why you moved away from that. So yeah. What, what happened then when you were able to step away from that? And I'm sure that there was a million decisions and conversations about why that wasn't working, but what was the next sort of step for you? Yeah. So I definitely ended up moving into like a pretty kind of like generalist role and really kind of doing a bunch of different experiments um, of, of things that we kind of needed to do at the time. So I was doing some like enterprise marketing stuff. So like running events, like writing content. And then I was also kind of starting to lean into the the partnership side, both on an enterprise level. And so I ended up doing quite a bit of sales work. And then I also was doing partnerships more on the student side of the business because Forage is essentially like a two-sided marketplace. We work with employers and then we work with students. And so it was looking around at like who else is in the ecosystem that students are already kind of, like who already has the audience, sorry, the attention of students. And how can we partner with those organizations to kind of get Forage in front of more students and get them to enroll into our programs? So I was really getting pulled in a, in a lot of different directions. And yeah, probably about 12 months into that, ended up having to have, or maybe it was a bit longer than that, maybe, yeah, 18 months of being like very much a generalist, had to have like a pretty tough conversation with Tom where he was like, you know, we're growing and we're moving into a position where people are becoming more specialized and you're getting pulled in too many different directions. And so we need to start having to think about like what it is that you're going to focus on so that, you know, you are setting yourself up to success. And also the business is like clear on like what the limits of your responsibility are, because it was very blurry. And oftentimes I felt like I was really busy and I was doing a lot of different things, but I wasn't always sure that at the end of the week, people would be able to tangibly be like, Katie did X, Y, and Z this week. It was often kind of projects that I felt like 
needed to be picked up off the ground. And do you feel like that experience of jumping into, say, content writing, say, events, say, partnerships, say, sales, did that give you a deeper understanding of the problems that you were solving on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really hard. Like this whole process, like I want to be clear to like anyone that's listening, is like pretty common at startups that like your role change, you'll be asked to like pick up things that are like on fire at the time. And I'm sure other people in that situation might have been like, okay, is this like the right thing for me? And I'll ultimately like I... I think I actually listened. I think it was through the Startmate Fellowship. I listened. I tuned into a talk after I had already done the program. And I now can't remember the incredible woman who spoke, but she talked about how throughout her career, she had also jumped around a lot as well. And she had really tried to approach every job from the mindset of being a CEO. And like, when I'm a CEO, all of this is going to be relevant to me. And I'm going to have to understand how every aspect of the business works. And so not that I necessarily think I will be a CEO or aspire to be a CEO, But every time I was working on something new, I would think to myself, okay, if this was your business, you would have to understand how this works and how to fix these problems. And so just keep that in mind, like approach this from the mindset of being a CEO. And so I think that's definitely something that I always tried to keep at the forefront when I was having these kind of more like existential questions around like, how do I go from being a generalist to a specialist? What do I want to specialize in? Which I think is like really common transition of that early stage company into like a later stage company, not that Forage is yet later stage, but is moving into a position where the roles we're hiring for now are more and more specialized than they were two and a half years ago when I joined. So talk us through how you then decided on that specialist role or how you decided on what you wanted to focus on and, and how you, how you, I think also there's, uh, there's a really interesting little nugget in here of how you then set those boundaries going from someone that was sort of available to do everything to have it to be like, actually, this is my focus and this is the strategic goal that I'm pursuing. Yeah. So we also kind of timed out well because we brought in, we raised our Series B in August of 2021. And at that point, we're able to bring in some really experienced like executives to lead different functions. And so I think that really helps that process of prioritization because these executives were like really good at being like quite yeah, focused in what they wanted their teams to be spending time on. And so throughout that process, I, going back to your initial question, sorry, which was how did I decide that for myself? I essentially broke down what I had been doing to date into like three kind of different buckets and looked at what I enjoyed. And then also like, what did I want to continue on in my role and in my work every day or, you know, on a weekly basis? And then what did I think was business critical for Forage? Because you don't want to be working on something that is like something you enjoy every day, but you are constantly like, is this, is this important for the business? Is this moving the needle, especially while you're trying to grow a company? And so I, um, you know, did that process. I literally wrote it out in a Google Doc, wrote down everything I'd been doing, tried to split up into these kind of different buckets and then went back to Tom and Anna, who was our chief of staff, and was like, this is the position that I want to do. And I essentially like pitched them on the position that I wanted to to do going forward, um, which is the strategic partnerships role. And so part of the reason I decided to do that was I'd already been doing it in in my day-to-day work. I had already essentially been keeping an eye on, you know, who else was in the broader student ecosystem, who were our competitors, who were our other partners. 
and, you know, how can we work with them to kind of, you know, broaden Forage's reach and ultimately have more students come into our program. I also felt that it was an area of the business that we hadn't fully explored yet and that no one had actually dedicated themselves to. And so I felt like if I was given the time to dedicate myself to it, it would be another experiment of, okay, is there viability here? Or at least we learned that this is kind of like a dead end. And I think that was quite scary at the time because, again, I was faced with the reality that in like six to nine months, that might be something that we don't continue working on. And I had already been through that experience at Forage, but I also was convinced that it was something we should explore. And that if it, and then at least if the learning was that it wasn't useful for Forage to continue going down that path, that we had had kind of like lessons that were applicable that meant that we had to invest more in our own product and our own acquisition strategies and that partnerships was not something we could rely on to help us with those goals. So that's interesting too, because it sounds like almost you created a role from what that first role that quote unquote, you know, didn't go through without just the the small thing of it being social impact. So now you're you're doing that same role of of pitching to partners. It's just that it's a broader scope. Is that correct? So the first role I had was more like sitting on the enterprise side of the business. So pitching to other like large employers that were like NGO, social impact focused. And then I then, when I moved into the head of strategic partnerships role, I sat in the broader consumer marketing team and our kind of like North Star was bringing more students into the forage ecosystem. And so I wasn't then speaking to employers. I was speaking to other like completely separate organizations that had like complementary products to what we were offering. And so, yes, you're right. Like one of the things I had identified was that I actually really liked having those external facing conversations. I like pitching forage. I liked brainstorming like, okay, what are the different ways that we can work together? What's the benefit you will get out of this partnership? What's the benefit we'll get out of it? How do we structure this? Is it free? Are we paying? Is someone paying someone here? And then I felt like it, it drew in my legal strengths, which were also then, yeah, like negotiating those terms having to like do the legal agreements before we now have a lawyer, but we didn't at the time. And then also like the ongoing kind of like monitoring and optimization of those relationships. So that was essentially kind of what I had identified that I wanted to do. Got you. So what does a, what does like a day in your life kind of look like at the moment with reaching out to those a student adjacent? I'm guessing it's like, you know, other organizations that are offering students. Yeah. So we have identified like a handful that we are continuing to work with and we're not doing much external outreach anymore. One of the, I guess, experiments is figuring out which ones were the most effective channels. And so we feel we've gotten to a point now where we've identified those. And so for my role, it's very much now, okay, how do we grow those channels? How do we get as much value from them as we can? And at the moment, I'm just essentially helping with a bunch of kind of strategic projects for the marketing team to wrap out this quarter as I'm actually moving into a new role beginning from October. So yeah, it's, I feel like my career at Forage has just been a bit all over the place. <laughs> An exciting time. But I think that's also like a true representation of what a career in startups often is like, especially, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm assuming here and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that you really believe in the mission that Forage is, is working toward. Yeah. And I, I definitely do. We get messages and Tom in particular shares messages all the time from students that are really inspiring and, you know, that talk about how much they love their product or how it helped them get a job at all these different companies. And, you know, that's really changing someone's future and like their financial stability as well, which I love. 
And then also, I think, you know, we have like such an incredibly, you know, passionate, hardworking and smart group of people here. I just love the Forage team. And also, you know, the whole time I've been at Forage, we've been growing. So it's been really exciting to be part of that, to see us go from a team of, I think, 17 when I joined to about 85, 90 now. You know, it's really exciting to be part of that growth. And also with our headquarters, like us being headquartered in the US, it's also presented opportunities for me to move over to the US. So there's been, yeah, just a whole range of benefits that have made me kind of really invested in, you know, learning as much as I can from the Forage team and from the journey, even though along the way, yeah, for sure, like at times I haven't maybe had a role that makes the most sense or has the most clarity to it. It's, yeah, there's been, I've been kind of willing to, I guess, like push through that ambiguity because there's all these other benefits. But that's interesting too, because it feels like in your last role as a lawyer, you were sort of searching for that change and now you've got it in spades. So while sometimes it's probably quite stressful, you're also able to jump into different things and change your day-to-day so regularly that you're not kind of getting bored and you're not falling into that monotony that potentially commercial law might have might have led to. Yeah. And I think it's really easy to glamorize startups. And I guess that's something I want anyone who's listening to take away. It can be really hard. And there are days for sure that I was, I miss knowing how to do my job and knowing how to find the answer and what the right solution was going to be because there are no right answers when you're working in a startup. And at some points, the ambiguity is really exhausting. But also I feel like the highs are higher and the lows lower. So it's worth it overall. Yeah, no, totally get that. So just kind of turning back to who you are as a person, how would you describe how you operate? Because I got the most consistent answers from all the people that I speak spoke to on this. Oh, video. really? Yeah. Oh, they all probably said I'm very direct, didn't they? They did. Every single yeah. person <laughs> said you're incredibly direct. Yeah, so I'm Dutch by background. And the Dutch always, you know, have a stereotype of being very direct. And I think that's definitely true. Yeah. So how do I operate? I operate, I think, with, I always try and have like the broader kind of like business context in mind. And I think that definitely is like appreciated at Forage. You can definitely get sidetracked and end up going down these kind of like rabbit holes. And, you know, there's so much to do in the mission that we're trying to work towards. And so I think I have always kind of kept in mind like, okay, what's going to move the needle? How are we going to get there? I'm also pretty organized and can work quite quickly. And so I think I definitely try and um, prioritize speed. But at the same time, because I was a lawyer, I definitely have the tendency to want to be a perfectionist. And that's something I've had to try and understand is we don't have the time for or like, you know, it's not as important in startups. But I think it means I have really good attention to detail. And so I care about things and the quality of the things that I work on because that was just like imprinted in me as a lawyer. And so I think it's like quite a good combination of like attention to detail, but also being quite effective. So going from being a lawyer to this role, which has been full of ambiguity and having some of the highest highs and lowest lows, as you've mentioned, how was that for you going from like a pretty risk averse background and and how have you in your even in your personal life how have you dealt with having some of those conversations and reminding yourself of what you're working towards from a more long-term goal and I guess wrapped up in that too like one of the people I spoke to before this said one of the skills that you have is that you're really good at looking at the job you're about to do and what you want from it in the future so 
kind of like if you were to look down the path of five years, what do you see that looking like? Yeah. So I think answering the, the first question about being risk averse, I actually think I have quite a high tolerance for risk. If you speak to my parents when I was young, I was very, I was quite badly behaved and was always kind of willing to push the bounds and, you know, was getting grounded all the time and so on. And so I think like I've always been quite happy taking risks. And I think that's definitely true at Ashurst. Like I felt like a lot of people like have never have wanted to go on a pro bono secondment because it hurts your chances of getting promoted and being seen as like someone who wants to kind of take that next step in being a partner. And I've felt like I've been quite happy to kind of try different things because I just kind of keep in mind your career is very long. And ultimately in Australia, we have a great safety net. I know that I have a lot of grade I can fall back on and work experience which is in quite high demand as a lawyer, you only get, you know, once you reach that kind of three-year qualification level, there's a lot of places you can go and work. And so I've always kind of kept that top of mind. We have a good safety network. I have experience. If this doesn't work out along the way, there's a great story. I met some epic people and I learned so much about business and working with others and building a business. And in the long term, I just won't regret any of these perceived risks, I guess, because I think the upside is, yeah, so much higher. And in terms of like five years, well, as of January, I'll be working, you know, directly with Tom now as his next chief of staff. And so I definitely will be at Forage for the foreseeable future. And I'm really excited to continue, you know, working more closely with him. I think the current operating environment is pretty challenging. And so we're going to be, it'll be like a really tough time, I think, to be moving into that role, maybe in comparison to what it was in 2021 and 2020. But, you know, I'm really ready for that challenge and I'm excited to, you know, have the experience to work more closely with our board and with our investors and essentially be like leading strategic projects that Tom wants to experiment with. And so, yeah, I just see myself really throwing myself into that role and I guess making the most of being in the US. One of the biggest incentives for me to come here was that I wanted to be where the growth and the focus was of Forage. But I also wanted to have, you know, an adventure and and do something new. And so that's definitely my focus of the next like two to three years. Five years, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, that's totally fair. And I think those are all very exciting things. And the fact that you've been able to move over to the US after, you know, our first sort of doomsday experience together, that's huge. And I'm assuming that there's gonna be hopefully we'll get you back on the pod in a year or so and see and see what crazy adventures you've been on then. Yeah. So looking more broadly at the Australian ecosystem, and I know you're in the US now, but you're still very much a part of the Australian ecosystem. Firstly, is there another operator that you can think of who you just think is doing like a phenomenal job? I wouldn't actually say one. I think just in general, I have been so impressed. You know, we were the kind of first women's fellowship. So I guess we've been able to see the way that particularly women in tech and women in startups in Australia have evolved. And I'm just constantly impressed by everyone in that community's willingness to give back and kind of pass it on to the next cohort of women who are thinking about joining that world. I think I can name like five different people off the top of my head who, you know, have have transitioned into startups from working in previous employers and have just given so much of their time to other women that are then thinking of doing the same, coming to them with questions. So I can't really have names in my head, but I would just say more broadly, I think it's just been like a really great community to be part of where people are always kind of willing to, I think, help out and and give back to the next, the next wave. Yeah, which has been a consistent theme. And I think we're super lucky to have kind of been at the beginning of that because we've been able to see such a 
insane growth over the past two years. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of going back to you just really quickly, what kind of resources or what are the things that you consume? It could be a podcast, it could be a book. What are the things that you've consumed that have maybe even like supported you on that ambiguity journey and helped you center yourself? I think probably just conversations with other people who have worked in similar stage companies or have gone through growth at similar companies and yeah, just again, trying to understand, is this an experience that's unique to me or is this something that other people experience as well? And so I think for me, it's definitely more on that level of connecting personally with others. I am a big Twitter person. I follow a lot of startup-related Twitter accounts and that's like a pretty, you know, you feel like you're kind of learning while being unproductive and scrolling. But I'm, yeah, big on Twitter and I wouldn't necessarily say any particular like book or podcast you know, I've, I'm a massive fiction reader. I try to read all these nonfiction books. And to be honest, I just always have to come back to my true love, which is like narrative storytelling. And so I can't put my hat on my heart here and recommend like a bunch of nonfiction productivity books that I actually didn't finish. So I want to be honest about that. <laughs> That's so fun. I think also like the power of narrative. Narrative is one of the oldest like lessons in the book on on how to communicate a point effectively. So it might it might yeah. seem a little bit abstract, but I think that reading narratives and understanding a narrative art can really help you with getting alignment with both like internal and external stakeholders. And then on a more kind of physical level, I'm someone who's very active. And so I think for me, when I'm feeling there's ambiguity or like what's next, particularly when I was living in Sydney, I very much would spend time doing yoga and also surfing. And I feel like that time for me away from electronics not on my phone, just with my thoughts is really crucial for me to be able to kind of, yeah, move forward when I'm feeling uncertain or, or have that kind of, yeah, moment of clarity or, or purpose. How are you going without surfing now that you're in New York? <laughs> I was actually thinking about this the other day and I think because it's so far off the radar here, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. Feel like if I was in San Francisco, I would probably struggle with it more because it's so cold there and then I would just, like the water's so cold, sorry that I would then just feel quite guilty. But here, I'm just kind of leaning into all the things that make New York great for what it is and just acknowledging that surfing is not really going to be a part of my life here. But I am thinking of doing a trip to like Costa Rica or something in the depths of winter when I'm freezing in New York and Australia is in summer. That's super exciting. Have you been surfing your whole life? No, I only really got into it in the past like three years while I was living in Bondi and I think particularly during the pandemic I was like this is going to be my pandemic hobby and I'm just going to like really dedicate myself to it and I had friends that were saying to me oh you should I bought rollerblades pick up rollerblading with me and I was like no surfing is the hobby that I'm focusing on during this time so yeah it's definitely been more of the past two and a half years I would say. I think that's actually like a really great note is something that you can find that's meditative and that is really for you. It was actually interesting that surfing keeps coming up in this startup space, but someone that I met through Startmate who became a boss and like a great mentor to me, he actually, Craig Davis, shout out to him. He actually put on a viewing of Girls Can't Surf, a documentary. Oh, I love that film. Yeah. And it was just such an incredible, and he was, he was just talking about sort of similarities between surfing and startup culture, but totally it was it's lovely so humbling you want to see yourself as that person who is riding the wave and you know on top of yeah on top of the wave everything's going smoothly and so much of surfing is just like completely being humbled over and over 
being dumped, not being able to paddle out past the waves. And you just have to kind of keep going. Like there's no shortcut to getting good at surfing. Just, I guess there's no shortcut to growing a business. So there's a lot of similarities there. A lot of hard work. So I guess that's the analogy that we've learned for your career at Forage <laughs> is your surfing. And what's your vision for the future? Just with Forage, just really quickly, just to kind of wrap it up. Like what do you, what are your big goals? What do you want to achieve? And, and how do you see, how do you see that panning out? So with Forage, I think. We really want to become a destination site for students who are trying to figure out, you know, what all these different careers are and how they can kind of put their best foot forward to get hired. We're still pretty early in that journey, but we're, you know, every kind of month assigning some really exciting employer partners. And so I'm just really excited to come to the US and be part of that journey and that focus where we're essentially providing students with the broadest possible range of opportunities and careers and industries that they can learn about and get connected and get hired through. Um, you know, ed tech is like a hard space. And so there's a couple of companies that have done really well in this industry, like Handshake and Multiverse. And I'm really excited to help, you know, push and you know, get forage in to be one of those businesses that, you know, has the most impact, has the most growth, but also is strong and hopefully have an Australian founded business up there competing with some of the the biggest players in that space and really show that Australian founders and Australian operators can really crack it in these tough markets and be really competitive. More personally, I'm really excited about the challenge of my new role. It's going to be great to work really closely with Tom. He's a very empathetic, very caring, very focused leader. And I think, you know, hopefully we're going to learn a lot from each other and the skills that I'll learn from building a business by working closely with him, I think will just be, you know, incredibly useful for the rest of my journey. I don't have a long-term plan. I'm not someone that has five, 10-year kind of goals. I'm very much someone who kind of takes it as it comes and, and makes the best decision at the time with the information I have in front of me. But yeah, I think for the foreseeable future, it will be being in the US and being part of Forage's growth here. Well, I think that's a beautiful way to wrap it up. And I completely agree. Like go out there and show them that Australia has one of the best ecosystems of both founders and operators in the world. And I think we're all back here rooting for you. Thank you. Everyone needs to come and visit. Yes, we will. Thanks so much, Katie. And that's it for today. Today's episode was recorded and edited by me, your host, Philemon Newton, with original music composition by Stephen Shouten and photography by Philip Lemazuria. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.